Hi, my name is Sam Sheen, and I'm joined as always by my friend and professional colleague, Mary Lundberg, and this is season three of our podcast, Captivated Audience. Well, the sun's shining, the daffodils are out, but boy, it doesn't feel like spring yet here in the UK. How are you doing, Marie? Hi, Sam. You know, it is cold, but it's a beautiful sunny day. So I'm just enjoying all that vitamin D that is pouring through the windows at the moment. Oh, no, vitamin D doesn't come through the windows, does it? (laughs) Perhaps I need to go outside then. (laughs) Well, as long as you do it with a mask, there's absolutely no problem with that. But I tell you what, Marie, since we've last done a podcast, so much has changed in the world, including the leadership in the United States. And with that, some pretty big changes might be afoot in the universe of sanctions. This time around, we're going to focus on Europe, aren't we? We are. And we are delighted to have George Wolderschim back joining us on Captivated Audience. Hi, George. How's life? Hi. Everything is okay. Thank you. So how has your 2021 started off? Well, um, I think we don't ha- we have uh, nothing to complain about comparing it with 2020. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll see a better year. So far, so good. But um, yeah, we still need to do a lot of progress, make a lot of progress collectively, uh, and battling this pandemic across the world. I agree with you fully there. So George, we are delighted, as I said, to have you back on on Captivated Audience today, and we're going to talk about the EU blocking regulation. So could I please ask you to give us a little bit of background on that and perhaps even a few words on your professional career? Yeah, I will start with the second part. So I work at a corporate intelligence company called Appear Intelligence, uh, which helps uh, various types of clients, financial service institutions, multinationals, law firms, uh, even private individuals to assess, mitigate and uh, minimize exposure to various types of uh, risk such as corruption, money laundering, sanctions, uh, fraud, embargoes, etc. So we conduct investigations, due diligence on third parties, and do lots of analysis on um, various hot topics that are in everyone's minds today, like sanctions, for example. So the EU blocking regulation is a hot topic then? It's a a hot topic as much as anything sanctions related today. Uh, So to give you um, a little bit of background, this regulation, also called blocking statute, was adopted initially in 1996 under Sunda number 2271-96, with reference to the year. And its initial purpose was to counter the unilateral effect of American sanctions on Cuba, Iran, and Libya. Over time, Libya was removed from the annex to the regulation because American sanctions were lifted as part of a settlement with the Libyan government at that time. So um, this regulation uh, was updated in 2018 by the European Commission, which was the annex that was updated with a number of new legal acts adopted in the United States since 1996 relating to Cuba and Iran. And the purpose is still the same, to uh, block the effect of these sanctions in Europe and for European companies, European persons. George, I know in 1996, so long ago, when we think about it now, the focus was all around Cuba. But obviously, since that time, Europe has its own position with regard to Cuban sanctions. But Iran got very sticky, didn't it? Especially with the previous administration and the JCPOA. So how is the blocking regulation actually supposed to work, given that sort of strange transition that happened when the US decided it would no longer be a part of the JCPOA? So indeed, uh, if, if I go just back a little uh, back in time, so the initial regulation did not really work out as planned because there was, uh, luckily for Europe, a mutual understanding with the United States uh, at the diplomatic level to remove 
kind of to not endanger European businesses doing, doing uh, work in Cuba. And there was also an understanding regarding Iran. For example, uh, the French oil company Total was not in danger uh, under special accord with the Clinton administration. As regards the, the subsequent period, there was effectively the JCPOA of 2015, uh, applicable in 2016, which lifted clear sanctions uh, on Iran. But Donald Trump walked out of this deal in 2018. And that's uh, at that point in time where there was no agreement on the future Iran uh, sanctions policy between the United States and other signatories of the JCPOA. But Europe adopted this regulation, rather updated this regulation. Uh, so the purpose of it is very, very simple to block the effect of sanctions, American sanctions against uh, Iran at the European level and to allow European businesses to apply for uh, indemnity, indemnification in case of um, any material damage to their operations. So we are talking about two types of sanctions issued by two governments or two bodies in this case. That is actually then on a colliding course, simply put. Yes, because Europe remained uh, within the JCPOA as, uh, as well as any uh, all the signatories except the United States. The US rejected the sanctions under Trump. And of course, um, the situation is quite simple. There is a conflict of laws because European businesses ought to comply with European laws, of course, but they also ought to comply with US laws uh, when we talk about secondary sanctions or when there is a US nexus that creates the need for primary sanctions to be, to, to be applicable. Uh, that's where the problem arises. So let's talk about it in practical terms, because uh, we have amazing sanctions specialists who can go right down to the words, the specific words written in the blocking regulations. But the truth is, the frontline staff are the ones who have to apply this. People thought it was simply a matter of putting just a clause in, and the advice always was, but don't say you're doing it to comply with the OFAC sanctions. So that was great in theory, but a lot has happened since 2018, hasn't it? We've seen a number of legal cases initiated against European businesses doing business with Iran, the initiative of Iranian companies that felt punished by Europeans' reluctance to do business with uh, Iran anymore. Effectively, uh, we have a number of contradictory uh, statements from various European courts about the validity of these clauses. Some were happy to you know, accept the European position that the clause was sufficient, others were not happy. So we see a situation in which effectively uh, a clause may not be sufficient and there could be consequences for European companies in, in terms of their obligations to Europe, Iranian counterparts. Could you give us a, a practical example when this actually has come into play? You mentioned one of the French companies earlier, but can you give us something more tangible, something that a person, for instance, in the first line at one of the financial institutions needs to you know, wrap his head around there is jurisprudence in, in European courts in Italy, Germany, the Netherlands, whereby European companies um, decided to terminate relationships with Iranian businesses, uh, stop providing services. For example, there were a few telecom companies cutting off telephone lines for key persons at the uh, European subsidiaries of Iranian, uh, Iranian companies or uh, stopping to provide other services because either uh, they refer to uh, the legal uh, clauses in the contracts or some of them explicitly refer to Euro American sanctions and to the damage that could be incurred by them in case of continuing these relationships with Iranian businesses. So we have a number of cases, a number of verdicts. Uh, many of them were against the European uh, arguments. So uh, courts normally were ordering them to uh, resume their relationships uh, as previously because they thought that the win of these uh, terminations not just justified by the risk of sanctions. Uh, in other cases, which are not very many, unfortunately, for Europeans, courts accepted the European position and said that the risk of sanctions was material. As we saw uh, last year with a referral by um, a German court, the European Court of Justice, 
there is currently uh, an attempt by, by this court, and which I think will be helpful to everyone, to understand how ECG understands uh, the blocking regulation. There is a number of questions where they were, they were sent to the, to the ECG, and I think this answer, their answers will probably clarify for many people how this will be applicable. Because as of now, there is no clear doctrine around that in the European Union. I think effectively it impacts a lot the frontline staff and also compliance officers. Yeah, and it's really interesting, George, because we often talk about screening and lists and list management, but this really goes down to the commercial documents, right? This is about your terms and conditions upon which you agree to provide services to your customers. So what do people need to be alive to around this? Because we know in certain jurisdictions like Germany, you can't just say we won't do business with certain jurisdictions because that breaches their anti-competition laws. So what kind of things does the compliance functions need to think about it? Because it seems as though contract clauses are actually relevant as part of your control framework. Yeah. So effectively, I think legal clauses can provide enough protection in many cases. You may insert certain language, very clear language around, for example, the inclusion of your counterpart in sanctions list, which may in itself create a risk event for your relationship and lead to a determination of this relationship. There are um, other cases in which uh, this is not sufficient. So I think a, a lot of care should be taken with the legal language that you insert. For example, you include a clause that refers to the inclusion of a particular counterparty on a sanctions list. And if these clauses triggered, uh, so it creates a risk event for you. In this case, uh, you may refer back to these clauses and say that the situation has changed. There is kind of force majeure, which allows you to terminate this relationship without any further, even further notice to, to the company. Uh, there are cases in which the language is a bit uh, more vague and effectively you can't refer to American sanctions in your contracts uh, explicitly because I think this will be struck down by, by court if your counterparty goes to court against you. So you have to find a very fine balance between what you put in these clauses. Uh, you also have, um, if you refer back to the blocking regulation, you have to prove to the courts in any every case, except if you can argue that this is a purely commercial decision, which is justified by the language you put in the contract. You must prove that uh, the risk of sanctions for you is material. So there is um, this regulation, there is an implementing regulation by the commission in 2018, which lists a very long uh, number of criteria, uh, which the commission can assess and determine whether the risk of sanctions is material for you, in which case you can be provided with authorization to comply with these sanctions on a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah, and it's interesting you talk about the commercial terms, because one of those German court decisions, the court in that case refused to grant an injunction, injunction under the regulation, and that was in relation to preventing a savings account of a logistics company being closed due to U.S. sanctions over Iran. The argument that the bank put forward was that they had a valid reason to comply with those U.S. secondary sanctions because they were able to show that its correspondent banks might refuse to cooperate with it due to those secondary sanctions. And their argument was actually successful. So, you know, is that the sort of thing they're thinking about commercially, do you think? Yes, I think uh, I think banks are probably in a more favorable position than corporates because banks, of course, we know they depend for survival on access to the U.S. financial system, unless you talk about very small banks without need to, uh, to go to the U.S. for uh, dollar clearing. So most banks will, I think, probably be able to argue that if they run this risk, they will be cut off from this system, they will lose all the business, uh, American non-American clients. This is, I think, uh, an argument that is both commercial and regulatory. From a commercial standpoint, I think it has a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense to, to the courts and to the companies themselves. The situation may be a bit difficult for uh, corporate clients, and we have yet to see um, cases in that respect. 
But you can imagine um, companies uh, in other sectors that will be struggling to find a good argument to prove to the commission that if they continue this relationship, they will, may uh, run the risk of either being sanctioned themselves or being shunned by their own banks, for example, whether American or European. You talk about different type of, of industries now being affected in this case. So let's turn it back to the pandemic. Could this be like affecting vaccine distribution, medical equipment? Yeah, I think it's it's a good question. I think if probably there is a situation in which a company refuses to supply equipment to, to let's say, an Iranian company, if it's about medical supplies, I think uh, there will be many arguments against allowing a company to get off with uh, such behavior because there is, in addition to the blocking regulation, there is also Instex, which courts may also refer to in their argumentation by saying, well, why don't you take advantage of this uh, mechanism to do legitimate trade with Iran? Or why don't you, for example, consider various exemptions in various sanctions laws to promote this trade, for example? So I think effectively uh, there is a risk of uh, disrupting these vital channels of trade at the same time, if I remember well the list of criteria for the blocking regulation, it also states, says that the European Union must protect companies that are engaged in strategic businesses and if, if they come under sanctions at any point in time and if their business is impacted, for example, they produce medicines or they produce medical technology or vaccines in this pandemic, the European Union will think twice before taking any action. They will probably try to protect them at the same time. So this also creates a lot of uncertainty. If you are a pharma company, who's, uh, on whose side will the European Commission be? On yours, uh, but for example, thinking that you may come into sanctions yourself, and in this case, you may put in danger the lives of European citizens. Or will it be rather the lives of Iranian citizens or other foreign citizens affected by sanctions who must be protected in this case? Uh, I think it's, it's a very interesting uh, scenario, but we don't have uh, any practical example to give. One final question for me, George. So if I were to read up on this topic, if I want to learn more, where would you point me? In which, in which direction would you point me? Or is there a report you think is very fascinating that is a must read? Could you please just give us a few tips on how to actually better ourselves and understanding more about the EU blocking regulations in this case? Well, there is, of course, the webpage um, of the blocking regulation itself, uh, which is maintained by the European Commission, which provides you links to the regulation itself or the annex to the implementing regulation, which gives a list of criteria used by the Commission in assessing the risk of sanctions for European businesses when they want to um, have an exemption granted. Uh, there is also a very interesting document called Guidance from the European Commission, which also explains in detail what is intended by the regulation, what is not, and how the Commission uh, will implement the regulation in practice. Uh, but I think many things are already there, which can partly address some of the concerns, especially for small businesses that don't have the means to consult a lawyer, more specifically on this topic. There is also on this website a description in general of what the regulation is intended to, to be like, what's its purpose. I think there is also quite a lot of client advisories from various law firms, which analyze jurisprudence. Uh, we have um, a number of cases that were judged in the EU last year. And uh, I think it's, there's no single source of information, but I think if you accumulate all of that, probably give you an idea of where we're headed. Thank you so much, George, for taking the time again to enlighten us all about sanctions. I think that we might ask, have to ask you back and do a second episode on, on the other topic about the US sanctions. Hmm, what do you say? You're up for that? With pleasure, of course. Perfect. Thank you so much, George, for taking the time today. And please stay safe. And wherever you are, if you go outside, please wear a mask. The same to you. Stay safe. Yeah, let's respect the rules. 
Thank you for listening to Captivated Audience. If you have any topics you would like us to discuss, please feel free to reach out to us on our Captivated Audience dedicated LinkedIn page. Until next time, stay safe.